Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! And we've got another great episode for you. It is Paige's Week, and we have another installment on our series on the Branch Davidians. (laughs) You can't see it, but I'm doing finger guns. (laughs) Yeah, Paige sits in the dark. And one of the funniest things about recording this whole podcast is that behind you is just a lone cowboy hat that sits watching like you're disparaging (laughs) its culture. <laughs> I know. It's it's my husband's. It's one of many. There are multiple <laughs> cowboy hats in our home and at least two pairs of cowboy boots. Ugh, as long as he doesn't wear those in conjunction with aviators, I think you're okay. Um before Did we... you see our wedding photos? Oh no! That's oh, actually man. super adorable. It's just a matter of days before he has his own cult. Um but in the meantime, we have some news and reviews. Bow, 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 bow. Finger guns again. (laughs) In the the dark. Finger guns are so much safer than real guns. (laughs) Joke's on you. I made these automatic. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so appreciated. (laughs) The news is that we have a Patreon now. You can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast to see all of our great tiers. And before we get started, we have a five-star review. This one comes to us from Miggy Mac. Miggy Mac says, great pod. I got hipped to this pod from Paige's guest spot on Horror Virgin. Yay! It's kismet that you're currently doing Branch Davidian since I was obsessed with the Waco showdown when I was a kid. That's that's a little dark for children. But I say this <laughs> as someone who's married to someone who grew up not far from it as a child. And the other night we were talking about it. He's like, yeah, I remember uh, as a kid buying like a comic book about it. And I was like, wait, what? Why have we never just, what? Why haven't we talked about this? So we might have to have Jake on to just talk about being a child in Texas at that time. Yeah, Yeah, I'd love to hear that, TBH. That'd be great. Cool. And I think without any further ado, let's get into the show. Hello. Hello. Perfect. That might be the best I've ever said. (laughs) Don't drink the For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! And it's my week again! Who's ready to talk about guns? Hell yeah, I'm hesitant to be excited to talk about guns. I mean, you should be. Uh, First and foremost, thank you to all of you who sent in your PhD submissions. Oh my God, Uh, so great. So Not great. a single one of them has been less than entertaining. They've all been fantastic. <laughs> um, what I've learned from them is to A, stay away from public parks. 
and libraries and and libraries uh and b don't eat corn or take enemas that is what i have learned yeah i did not Um, know you could pass out from shitting so thanks for that (laughs) i did because i have oh god (laughs) when i when i had salmonella i passed out at one point just because i was shitting so much that it's like keeping you awake and you just like you don't even get enough time to sleep so you just kind of like your body's so weak you just kind of like yeah Yeah. we in the medical field call that a tip in the toe in the elvis (laughs) (laughs) the dump of death as mansers would call it um yes also thank you to one of our listeners reached out this week uh who is i believe a current seventh day adventist and wanted to give us a little bit of insight. We talked a little bit last time about how the Branch Davidians were vegetarians um, and that some factions of Seventh-day Adventists are vegetarians. In part, that's because Ellen Gould White, the lady who had visions, is considered one of the forefronts of the vegetarian movement. Um, but according to our listener, there are groups of Seventh-day Adventists that eat meat. Uh, I also reached out to a girl that I went to elementary school with who was Seventh-day Adventist. And she was like, yeah, we also eat meat, but it just has to be like pure meat. So kind of like a halal situation a little bit. I thought you meant that any animal they ate had to have not had any sex. Like, <laughs> we only eat virgin animals. <laughs> Did you guys hear about that new pure animal company led by T.I., the rapper? Oh, <laughs> oh my geez. God. No. He personally checks every animal's hymen before it goes to the slaughterhouse. Oh my but does God. that mean Gross. animals can have anal instead and still? Okay, no. Yep. Too, too far? <laughs> That's the loophole, baby. <laughs> Every chicken gets a purity wing. <laughs> oh, that one's for you, man. Katrina Davis. I love you. Okay, bye. <laughs> Happy birthday. Uh, and I'm I'm just here as a, a card-carrying meat snob to tell you that that pure meat is usually just better meat in general. So, you know, embrace it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Put that in your in your pipe and smoke it. You are a meat supremacist, Paige. I did not expect I, this. I have I have insulted someone's intelligence for ordering a steak well done before. So oh. you know, that's the level of person we're dealing with yeah. here. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I'm right there with <laughs> you though. I know. I know. All right, guys. Are we ready for some sources? <laughs> so yes. I can stop talking about meat. I'm sounding like Alex Jones, where he's like, I'll eat my neighbors, and I'm just like well, yeah, but do it rare, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the most upsetting part about that criminal case where Alex Jones ate his neighbors was that he got it well done and used ketchup on Gary. Oh, how dare he? What a dick. <laughs> so our sources for this week, uh, we are using Waco Madman Mad Men or Messiah. Again, that's the documentary um, from 2018. We've got Devil's Party, A History of Charlatan Messiahs by Colin Wilson. Again, as we mentioned last time, there are not a lot of citations in that book, so we have to corroborate it with other accounts. Uh, We're also using Waco, A Survivor Story, which is by David Thibodeau and Leon Whiteson. We'll be referencing that a few different times. He has kind of a different telling of what happened. I would call it potentially incorrect, uh, but that's just me. Uh, I will present a case for it, if that makes sense. Um, 
we've also got documents on the age of consent on the age of consent in Texas from the Dunham and Jones law firm. Uh, we also have notes from a memorandum to the press following the raid on the compound at Waco. And one of our listeners, William, provided us with a wealth of information on guns that I will be referencing later in the episode in greater detail. Bang, bang. Are you ready? Yes. Again, very hesitant to be excited about guns, but I am. Bang, bang. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where, like, I learned a lot about guns for this episode because I did not know a lot of these things about guns. So thank you, William, for helping out Uh, because, you know, I was reading a lot of the same stuff and was just like, I don't know what this means. And William was kind enough to send descriptions of all of it and then pictures of some of the specific parts so that I could actually kind of see how they would work, uh, which helped a great deal. So thank you. So we are somewhere between 1986 and 1989. And the reason I have multiple different dates is because the accounts from 2018 from multiple survivors placed the lion's share of these events in 1989, while David Thibodeau's book places them in 1986. That said, it is very possible that the truth is somewhere in the middle and that some of these things happened closer to 1986 while most of them happened in 1989. Um, I think in order for the simplicity of the narrative in the documentary, they may have kind of bundled things together a little bit. Uh, But 86 seems incredibly early for some of these events. I'll bring them up as we go along. Uh, We also, before we get into it, need to talk about Texas age of consent laws. I'll talk about them a little bit more as we get to it. But the age of consent in Texas at this time is 14 with a parent's permission. What? Yikes. Like a permission slip? We we will definitely get to it. Um, the the reason I bring this up, and it's in, in a little bit of a, a way, a, a trigger warning, is because we are going to see many relationships with David Koresh and women that, by today's standards, are very illegal, uh, but by the standards of the time, were not technically illegal. That doesn't not make them creepy. It doesn't mean that he wasn't definitely grooming women who were too young to adequately consent to that relationship. And it does not excuse those women's parents for agreeing to that type of relationship. Just because something is legal doesn't mean it's not totally gross. Uh, Law is a little subjective. (laughs) So with this one, we are going to keep that in mind. But we're also going to talk about a lot of the moral and emotional implications that these relationships had on these women. And it's not great. So heads up. Also, we are going to be talking about a man named Mark Broll. Now, he, depending on who you talk to, is either the villain of this story or the one person who tried to get help. So we're going to kind of talk about both options. I tend to fall into the latter camp, Um, but I will present both stories. I also tend to fall in latter camp a lot, as we've seen. (laughs) 
Is it because you keep jumping off of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on down to Armando's Ladder Camp, sponsored by Monster Energy. What is a jump but a controlled fall? Monster Energy. We are grosser than some of Texas's laws. <laughs> now, in 1986 to 1989, but mostly 1989, uh, David Koresh started to preach that the new generation of children in their group would be the new generation for Christ's new kingdom after the apocalypse. So essentially he was preaching that within his lifetime, the apocalypse would happen and his children would be the first generation admitted to the new kingdom. Did he just steal that from Pepsi? What? (laughs) Wasn't Pepsi's whole thing was like, Pepsi, a new generation. The apocalypse is coming. Survive it with Pepsi. Yeah, that's actually what that circle is. That's the apocalypse. That's the sun changing colors during the apocalypse. (laughs) That's the Pepsi logo. I think, and and this is a a me theory. There's no like basis for this. I think he's actually basing it off a portion of the book of Exodus where the Israelites were wandering the desert for 40 years. And at one point, God tells them that they will never enter the land of milk and honey, but rather their children will. And this is kind of a very similar idea to that. I'm not sure if that's where he got it or if he was just making stuff up. But when I read it, that was kind of the the tie that I kind of saw. My last argument for my theory is that uh, Coca-Cola had polar bears, but Pepsi has the seventh seal. So... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you oh, for God. thank you for your time. Uh, <laughs> How is Coca Cola still more popular than Pepsi? Then? I don't. I mean, I guess people like bears more than apocalypses. I was gonna say people like bears more than seals, but <laughs> you oh, know. but I'm that was nice. That was good. Seals are smelly. Um, so David Koresh claims that he based the bulk of this doctrine off a scripture from the Book of Revelation that mentions twenty four elders which made him think that he thought he needed to be the father of all 24 of those elders gross yeah he's basing this on revelation 4 4 which says surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads that's it that's that's all of it basically there's no other information um David Koresh claimed that these elders would all be born of virgins. There is no scriptural basis for this, uh, except for maybe the fact that they're listed as wearing white, but that doesn't necessarily always mean virginity. It does usually mean purity. Um, There's only one problem with this, though, is that if you're David Koresh and you're trying to find virgins that are the same age as you... Yeah, it's the 80s. People be fucking. Yeah, people be drinking Pepsi and fucking. Yeah, and he's living in a conservative religious community of his own making, but, you know, a conservative religious community in which most of the people his age were married to other members of the community. So David didn't have a lot of people available in his own age group but he did have a bunch of teenagers on the compound. Oh, uh, that's right. I, for- I forgot that he was like 
the most popular person on the whole compound, right? Like as far as everyone yeah. else is concerned, because everyone else is so lame, he is the coolest possible person you could know. He's the Pied Piper of Christian rock. <laughs> well, oh, and, and it's not necessarily that other people are lame so much as he has basically developed a doctrine in this group where he's God. So, oh yeah, but he's also God who plays sweet guitar solos. Yeah, he he's he's gods and roses, and it's, <laughs> and it's like a whole thing. Um, now, initially, he supposedly, and this is according to a few different uh, accounts, supposedly he didn't target pretty girls specifically. He looked for people who were kind of odd ducks or maybe weren't as mature or experienced and he kind of groomed people. So even though a lot of this happened in 1989, it's very possible that this process started occurring a lot earlier. Remember that this is also not the first time that David Koresh has had a relationship with women this age when he is older. Because we covered one last time, too, where he was only a teenager at that point, but there was still a bit of a gap. And that one was actually potentially illegal under modern Texas law. So this is a this is a pretty common tactic of pedophiles, too, is you find someone who isn't popular, who doesn't have a support system and who may not be getting the attention either from their peers or from their parents who are kind of overlooked. And they're so much easier to take advantage of than someone who, you know, might be around their parents and might have friends their own age and recognize that this is inappropriate behavior. Yeah, I also think there's something to be said for the fact that they are on a compound, which means you are going to have limited options for a romantic peer in your age range. And I don't mean that necessarily for David Koresh, but I mean that for these girls. There was a bit of an imbalance where there weren't necessarily a ton of teenage boys running around for those girls to be involved with. There were some, but there was definitely more girls there, which means that inevitably some girls are going to be left out. Um, in my experience in church, this is kind of a thing where there do tend to be more girls. I don't know why, um, but like I even remember like being single in like high school and it was almost two girls to every boy ratio wise. So this yeah. Sunday, it's ladies night at the Lord's house. <laughs> <laughs> Women, uh, half off on the blood of Christ. Yeah, ladies drink free. <laughs> ladies accept Christ for free. I mean, ideally it should always be free anyway. But like, all I'm saying is when you limit your social group, it limits everybody's options, which makes things like this a little more likely to happen. I mean, he's still a pedophile and it's still terrible and he's a horrible person. But it may have also made it a little easier to persuade some of those younger girls who maybe didn't see other options around them. And so when there's not a lot of other options and quote air quotes God is like, want to jump on this dick? Maybe that is a bit of a factor. 
it's still not okay. <laughs> like I, I am still in the camp of 14 years old is too young to consent to a relationship with a much older person. Especially he, a sexual relationship. Yes. Yeah. I think he is taking advantage of these women. I think there's a power imbalance. And even though it is technically legal, I think it is wrong. And I think it negatively impacted a lot of these women. Um, and it is very upsetting. So first, he legally, because of Texas law, got married to a 14-year-old girl named Rachel Jones. And he's how old at this time? He is about 30 at this time. Okay. So she had actually grown up in the compound, and he had been there for a lot of the time that she had grown up. He had known her uh, easily since she was about eight years old, if not a little bit younger. Her parents signed literal legal paper document consents for her to marry him. Uh, this is the one that Thibodeau mentions in his book as happening in 1986. And he describes it as kind of like a, I mean, it's weird, but whatever. And I'm like, mm, no. But in the documentary, they list this closer to 1989. I think the reason why they listed a little closer to 1989 is because not long after David Koresh also had a baby with Rachel's younger sister, Michelle, who was approximately 12 to 13 years old at the time. God. Well, that was actually his second child. See, her sister, Rachel, had a child first. They named it Cyrus. But literally right around the same time that Rachel is pregnant and giving birth to Cyrus, he's already sleeping with Michelle. Oh. And because he legally couldn't marry Michelle, both allegedly because of her age, although there are people that debate her age, um, both because of her age and because even though you could legally marry somebody who is 14 with parents' permission, you couldn't be married to more than one person at a time, legally. So they're having marriages within the compound, but they're not legal in any sense of the word this is the um, grossest cw show i've ever heard of yeah. in my entire life yeah and how is he justifying this he's god that's his justification that he he has to have the 24 elders they have to be born of virgins we know these women are virgins so this is where we're gonna start so is his plan to get each virgin pregnant and then not sleep with them again ever no, he continues to sleep with all of them. These women have multiple children by the time the raid happens. Oh, God. This is so upsetting. Yeah. The the fact that Michelle was 12 or 13 is debated. Um, there are many survivors who validate that account, that she was 12 when they started going out. There, And I say going out, but that's so terrible. But he did uh, kind of court people. Where it wasn't just like, you're sleeping with me right now. It's like he would approach their parents and talk about it. It was like a whole process, which is very gross. Um, and one of the older members of the congregation who, interestingly enough, is not necessarily loyal to Koresh, but is not not loyal. There are a lot of people that are like, being a Branch Davidian is awesome, but David Koresh is crazy. When she kind of falls in that and she was like, yeah, at the time it seemed weird because she was pretty young. And I'm like, you didn't say anything like what? 
Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of that. A lot of people being like, yeah, it did seem weird. Um, but, you know, and that is kind of frustrating. There is a, a sense of this that we kind of all live with right now where it's like, hey, being American, pretty cool. Donald Trump, not a huge fan Suck of it. Suck a dick. And it's like, I, you, us are all like hey this sucks and i wish this wasn't happening and this is a very unfortunate that's going on and i can't do anything to change it but i can't leave well yeah on a larger scale too i mean we kind of saw this with a lot of the catholic church scandal stuff where people found out that the priests were committing sexual abuse acts against children but they still were like well that's a bad egg but I don't want to leave my faith and I think that we you know we see something similar where they might not agree with David Koresh as a person but they have been indoctrinated into the specific faith and their entire support system and community is in this faith so they don't want to just leave yeah and I think it's also worth mentioning that this is you know almost 10 years into David Koresh's quote-unquote reign over this group and so even though this group started out one way they are now Koresh's group they're not necessarily Adventists even anymore they are Koreshians or whatever we want to call his brand of whatever his philosophy is um, now Michelle who was 12 becomes part of an investigation that I'm going to cover in just a little bit um that investigation really splits the crowd as far as both survivors and people who have written about the history of the group. So we'll get to it in just a little bit. Around this time, there was also a girl named Sherry Doyle. Her family actually predated David Koresh on the compound. They were Branch Davidians under the rodents, and they stayed after David took over. And she got involved with David sexually and her father is actually in the documentary. And it was very frustrating to me that even now he's like, well, she knew what she was doing. She was 14. She knew better. Her father says that? Yes. What a dick. And I was very upset. <laughs> and and it's... Fuck off. Yeah, I was, I was real... Like, I'm pretty sure... And I, I don't know if he was just trying to, like, describe the way he felt at the time. Um, but he basically was like, yeah, they had a, a sexual relationship. She entered into it willingly. And I'm like, she's 14. I can't tell you how many sexual relationships I would have willingly entered at 14 with various members of Fallout Boy and NSYNC <laughs> if you had let me. If you, it, like, the only thing stopping it was being terrified of getting pregnant and being in a small town in Northern California. Like, teenagers will have sex with a lot of stuff. That doesn't mean they should. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not necessarily a great time in your life to make decisions like that that could impact your life forever. You know, you having a baby at 14 is a huge change in someone's life you know and it may have been a decision and a consent that they thought they wanted to offer at the time but I feel like a lot of times people don't necessarily 
understand the gravity of those decisions. Um, now, I did mention that, you know, two of these women are over 14 or 14 or over, which at the time was the legal age of consent in Texas. Now, currently the age of consent is 17 to 14. And the reason that there's a range is because 14 with an age differential of three years, which means if you're 13 and you're having sex with somebody your own age up to the age of 17, that's not considered illegal. Just please wear protection. Um, But if you are 17 or over, you can't go backwards, if that makes sense. These are a lot of times these are referred to as like Romeo and Juliet laws, where it's basically it has an allowance for teenagers to be teenagers and, you know, have sex with each other. But it tries to kind of navigate how those relationships are structured when one partner is older. I like that they also try to teach the teenager something by phrasing it as a worded math problem. (laughs) I know. I was like reading it. I was like, okay, if the age differential is, and I was like, ah, so many words. Um, (laughs) Yeah. If Terry is four years older than Lisa, it's a crime. (laughs) But if Lisa is three years older than Terry... It's maybe okay. I'm just going to look in the back of the book. I don't know any of these people. How many apples does Terry have? You know what, guys? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Just wait a bit. No one is good at sex as a teenager. You're not missing anything. I didn't have sex till I was 19, baby. I was 25 and I have no regrets. Awesome. I'm just saying that it's if you, hey, hey. If you're a teenager and listening to this, what are you doing? This show has a lot of death in it. Are you okay? <laughs> but also, it's okay to be a virgin until you are ready. That's fine. Don't worry about it. Please don't sleep with a 30-year-old when you're 14. I know it seems like they love you, but there is a power imbalance that you maybe don't understand yet. And that's okay. You have no control over that. Yeah, also those balls are going to sag real quick, so watch out. So, you know. (laughs) Now you're crossing streams here. I'm not sure, because you're saying, like, use them before you lose them. No, I'm saying date someone closer to your own age. (laughs) So so your parts sag at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mutual sagging. Which is... I don't know, a little hypocritical considering our current relationship, but whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, Andrea, you better watch your balls. (laughs) My balls are out of control, especially the pee ball. (laughs) Now, that same year, 1989, David Koresh kind of started running out of teenage girls. Because this compound is not that big. So he introduced something called the New Light Doctrine. Oh, I thought he was going to just build a mall. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an old, uh, like a bear trap, but for children. Yikes. Okay, never mind. (laughs) It's just just a giant net with a Spencer's gift (laughs) in the middle of it. There's a Claire's accessories over here. Um, Caboodles. Sorry. I just made myself sound really old. That's cool. Uh, So the New Light Doctrine annulled all human marriages. 
That means anyone who had previously been married in the compound were no longer allowed to hold hands, kiss, or have sex with their spouses. Fuck right off. Yeah, exactly. Wait, is this for, did you say for everyone, meaning just their group, or for everyone in the world, meaning everyone? So, uh, according to David Koresh, all women should be with him and have babies with him because he's the only one who could produce righteous children, and all the women in the world were under his dominion. Now, obviously, if you're not in the compound. Oh, Paige. So this is just within the compound. Tweety. Your parents are divorced now. <laughs> I mean, that, made, that would mean that I—that would mean that I'm divorced yeah. now. That like I could have never gotten married. Yeah, you're in a in a godless non-marriage, you heathen. Uh, well, you know what I mean. It's fine. How many people were like, "This is it for me, peace"? Uh, a lot of people. Yeah, good. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> were just like. Fuck yeah. Now, unfortunately, it was a lot of husbands that were like, you know, bye. But a lot of wives stuck around. Oh. Gross. Some of them were willing. Not all of them. Um, the documentary actually highlights a few different stories. Um, namely, Steve and Judy Schneider. They were a couple that had been in the compound and they'd been trying to have children of their own and were unable to. Under this doctrine, they had to split up. And Judy then began a sexual relationship with David Koresh as he requested and got pregnant. So eventually she and Steve kind of raised the baby as their own, which is actually kind of nice. Um... Steve basically loved Judy, and so he basically said, any child of yours, I love because, you know, I love you. Which is, like, in a weird situation, very admirable, I think. Yeah. yeah. But also, fuck David Koresh. Yeah, not <laughs> like, ideal here. No, no. no. Um, they also talked to Mike and Kat Schroeder. Kat Schroeder is actually in a ton of the documentary and she tends to skew pro Koresh still. Um, I feel like she is one of those people where, as I mentioned last time, you're not ready to leave a cult until you're ready. Yeah. And she was not ready. Yeah. Um, so for a lot of the people that weren't ready to leave the group, the siege kind of made that choice for them. And I feel like Kat might be one of those people. Um, she definitely, I, I do appreciate that she in the documentary is very honest about the things that she saw and experienced, um, even though her outlook on them might be a little bit different. But they were, her, her testimony and her story is actually very helpful in corroborating a lot of the other accounts. Like at one point uh, when they were talking about the other the teenage girls cat would be like yeah she was like 14 uh but he was god so and you're like thank thank you for corroborating that but yeah, also well i'm mm. concerned um so she was married to a man named mike when the new light doctrine happened and they actually had children of their own at the time um they were a family and mike did not take the new light doctrine well 
uh, he didn't want to stop being married to Kat and he fought it. And Kat wasn't really all that upset by it. She actually was kind of excited. She basically felt like it was an honor to be the wife of God, at least at the time. There's sort of a a weird tradition of like the reverend who has an affair or, you know, things like that. And I think anytime someone is in a position of power in a community, they become more attractive to certain people, even if that's sort of a weird infatuation or an inappropriate relationship. And so, you know, that might be part of what's happening here is obviously there's a power dynamic, but he seems more attractive because he's like, oh, well, he's God. Whereas like the men feel very threatened and they under, you know. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, let's be real. David Koresh is not the worst looking dude on this compound, you know. Fair. So, fair. And that said, I actually they showed pictures of her husband, Mike. I thought he I actually really liked Mike. I was like, he's cute in an Adam Driver kind of way. Aww. And I felt so bad for him. Um, he, at one point, was actually told to burn photos of him and Kat together. That's fucked up. That he had held on to. All right. I'm I'm Team Mike. I'm hashtag Team Mike now. Me too. And he, uh, I believe, left the compound as a result. Oh, that's really sad. I mean, it's devastatingly sad. Yeah. Um, some women, as I mentioned, went willingly. Uh, others waited basically in fear of the day that David Koresh would choose them to be next. One of those women was a woman named Kathy Jones and she worried that she was going to be chosen, but she loved her husband and her family. So she fled the compound. She ran away and she couldn't take her children with her. She had to leave them. Did her husband believe that this was okay? At the time, yeah. So she basically ran. Uh, And her children actually stay at the compound all the way up through the siege. Um, In part because right before the siege, her oldest daughter, who was like nine, I believe, at the time. So she was coming up on that age range. uh, She had asked to leave the compound to go visit her mother And Koresh refused, telling her that her mother was basically going to hell and that she should never see her mother. And going to see her mother was basically tantamount to potentially endangering her soul. Yeah. That's evil. It is hardcore. So in 1990, one of the members of the group named Mark Broll leaves the group. Now, he features heavily in the documentary from 2018, and he is kind of a polarizing figure. Thibodeau's account paints him more as someone who wanted to take over the group instead of David Koresh or take it from him. Um, His accounts and his interview paint it more as, I was Koresh's friend and I looked the other way for too long. Um, It may be somewhere in the middle, No one really knows. We can't know exactly what was in his brain. What we do know is that in 1990, he leaves the group and members are ordered to beat him to death if he tries to return or cause trouble for the group. Don't they own like a ton of guns? Yeah. Why would they shoot? I'm okay. I'm sorry. I guess that's the weirdest thing to be uh, confused about, but it's just like you have better options. 
I, I think he basically was like, I can't order you to just flat out kill the dude, but mm. beat him up maybe, you know, like. It's a stoning sort of situation where it's just like, oh, if a bunch of people fuck with you, you could die. But like, Damn. it's not one person's fault for killing him then, you know? Yeah. Upon leaving the group, Mark Broll actually went almost directly to the authorities to try and get them to investigate the relationships with underage girls. Now, initially, no one would investigate. He finally gets child services out to the compound, but no one will corroborate the story. And by the time they get out there, all of the girls are far above the legal age. They're now closer to 15 or 16. And so a lot of people in the group consider him almost like Judas, like he's a total traitor. And for two more years, the authorities do nothing with the group on the compound. But within those two years on the compound, things were changing rapidly. Even though the New Light Doctrine split the group, the majority stayed with Koresh, likely out of fear. At the time, the compound, as you mentioned, was very well armed. But with David discouraging most people from leaving the compound, there's an income problem. This is something that pretty much all cults face at one point or another, because if people aren't allowed to leave, they can't work. And if they can't work, they can't give you money. And if you don't have their money, how do you provide for this whole group of people that you won't let leave? So to survive this period for any compound, a cult needs to have an industry. And Koresh decided that their industry would be guns. Okay. Oh, I thought they were going to start working at Subway. That's more of like a Heaven's Gate type thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, admittedly, it has been said that their gun business started on the up and up. The way it would work is that Koresh would purchase guns from distributors at a lower price and then sell them for a markup at gun shows in Texas and surrounding states or would sell and ship them to other buyers out of state via mail orders. Now, it's important to note a few things at this point. We didn't have nearly as many gun laws at the time as we do now. Additionally, there's something called a gun show loophole, which means that most gun laws don't apply at gun shows. Yes. So basically, uh, if you want to sell anyone a gun, but you're not legally allowed to, if you just have like sick muscles on your arms, you can just like totally (laughs) sell them whatever you want. Yeah, America's fucked up, man. Yeah, all you gotta have is <laughs> sick gun shows. Welcome to the gun show. Do you want a tiger and a mountain of cocaine? Gun <laughs> show. This um this kind of like cutco, but for guns, gunco, if you will, yeah, style yeah. of uh buying and selling arms. You mean direct sales? Yeah. That's what that type is called. <laughs> Pretty much. It's basically like he's going around with a briefcase filled with guns and he's like, these guns are great. They can shoot through a penny. <laughs> Koresh calling. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's this this form of buying guns by doing it the legal way and then selling them to a profit for people who don't want to, you know, go through the legal route or not necessarily go through the legal route, but just, you know, don't want to bother with 
permits, dealing with paperwork, etc. This is laws to protect others. Am I right? Exactly. <laughs> Gross. Uh, it's 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 a thing that Timothy McVeigh, um, pe- members of the ARA, the Aryan Nation. This is like a really specific job that exists within these white supremacist groups or adjacent sovereign citizen group twos, which is essentially what Waco is. Yeah, definitely. So. Uh, at this time, gun shows were kind of like the wild, wild west. And by that, I mean they're terrible even when Will Smith is there. <laughs> <laughs> and he's always there. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the lack of oversight at gun shows hadn't gone unnoticed by the white supremacist militias and Aryan nations, as you mentioned. They used this power vacuum to both operate with impunity and traffic guns right under the ATF's nose, but they also used it as a recruiting ground. This is how the Turner Diary circulates. And if you're willing to deal with white supremacists, gun shows were big business, and business was good. And it is worth noting that this poses a bit of a problem for David Koresh, because the Branch Davidians are not a racist organization. Far from it. They were incredibly diverse. I think this actually kind of explains why the activity at the gun shows was kept to only a small group of the diehard believers within the cult. There are interviews with tons of cult members that they had no idea the gun trafficking was even going on. It's this thing that you'll run into every time you uh, research crime, as Andrea knows. I've been looking into a lot of crime crime, but eventually, if you get enough into crime, you're going to run into two people, and it's the cartel and then white supremacists, and they are pretty much, at this point, the heads of crime in general. Just to your point of, like, if you're doing anything that's kind of shady, you're going to run into white supremacists at some point. It's just a thing that, like, drug dealers have to deal with it. The funniest stories I've ever read are between the cartel having to deal with white supremacists, and each one of them is just like, ugh, I can't believe I have to interact with such a lower human being. (laughs) So, much like Randy Weaver was approached to alter guns... So were the Branch Davidians. The only difference was that this time it wasn't an ATF agent. It was the white supremacist militias. (gasps) So they started their business on the up and up, but eventually found out that there was some money to be had if they were willing to cut some corners. And in 1992, the sound of automatic gunfire was heard coming from their compound. The McClellan County Sheriff, that's the county that the compound is in, is McClellan County, Uh, had received a tip that guns were being trafficked through the compound, but they hadn't really done anything about it yet. But specifically, the tip that they had received said that the guns that were originally purchased were semi-automatic, and that at some point before being sold at the gun show, they were being converted to full automatic, which, much like the sawed-off shotguns at Ruby Ridge, is very illegal. And they had received a tip that David specifically was buying and selling guns at gun shows as a means to bring in money to the compound. So they believed that he was buying them as semi-automatics and then converting them and selling them as full automatics, essentially on order. 
So people would request a, a certain amount of full automatics. They would buy the semi-autos, do the conversion, and then sell them. This is like back when you guys were in college and everyone was like buying iPhones and quote unquote unlocking, unlocking them. Unlocking them. And yeah. it was that like, was you a can huge have, thing. You can have every app you want. This See this? This is an automatic iPhone. It, it sends <laughs> out tweets if you just hold your finger down on it. Which it will because your fingers are big. That's that was a huge thing <laughs> like that's what i'm like, saying that's like this whole weird market that's what it reminds me of except more yeah. murder yeah except yeah. way more murder happened for the iphone unlocking you're right andrea you're that right. was just a murder farm <laughs> well there is a little bit of i would say cultural information that actually impacts this and uh thank you william for sending me the whole document on uh both this process of converting guns and why. Uh, but up until about 1986, fully automatic machine guns were just full-blown legal. You could buy them in stores for as little as $150. But when laws changed in 1986, gun owners were asked to either register those firearms or convert them to semi-auto or turn them in. And those guns... And I, by those guns, I mean the ones from 1986 suddenly became more valuable. Today, those same guns from 1986 will sell for anywhere between $10,000 to $15,000. And that's if you can find one that still works. And pretty much the only place you'd be able to buy one would be a gun show. Yeah. Or the cartel or white supremacists. Yeah. Um. Multiple accounts have him visiting gun shows from at least 1986 forward. So it's also potentially likely that they just saw an opening in the market and decided to fill that hole. Um, but that hole was full of white supremacists. So, oh, gross. <laughs> you know. Um, it's a Southern now, glory hole. Ooh, I would say old glory hole. Ooh, but that's, just, that's pretty good. Think, thank you. Thank you. Survivors have confirmed that they were converting weapons for the express purpose of selling them at gun shows where they were highly sought after. Um, and specifically, that would have been the white supremacist militias who largely controlled the gun show circuit at the time. And specifically because they needed automatic weapons to arm their compounds. And remember, this is 1992. This means that the FBI is on their ass. They're already investigating the Aryan Nations, the ARA and the order have already happened. So there's a need for literal war weapons because both the FBI and the white supremacists believe that pretty soon they're going to war with each other. So here's a bit of a note on how the process of these rifle conversions work. And thank you, William. This is a quote from the document he sent. So, an AR rifle uses four parts for its trigger mechanism. There's the hammer, the trigger, the disconnect, and the safety, along with several springs. The trigger acts as a sear and holds the hammer back when you pull the trigger, the hammer is released. That strikes a firing pin and the gun shoots. The bolt then travels back, pushing down the hammer. The hammer is then held in place by the disconnector, and when you release the trigger, the hammer is released from the disconnector and then is held by the trigger again. If you pull the trigger again, the whole action repeats. So essentially, what that means is a normal rifle has a limited cycle for how it fires. 
each time you pull the trigger, a limited cycle takes place. What makes a machine gun different, William says, is that an automatic AR uses very similar parts with a very slightly or with some very slightly changed. The main thing is that it has an extra part called an auto sear. The safety is cut a little bit differently and it allows it to turn to a third position where it can hold down the disconnector. Now when the hammer comes back, it's held by the auto sear and as the bolt travels forward and locks in place, the bottom of the bolt bumps into the auto sear, releasing the hammer and fires the gun again. This process will continue until it either runs out of ammo or until you release the trigger. So essentially it's a repeating cycle as opposed to a contained cycle. So what William says is you can actually modify an AR without any tools to fire automatically. There are parts called lightning links or swift links that are either bent sheet metal that they can just drop right into the gun and work as an auto sear uh, where it'll still hold down the hammer. But you can also do it with something as simple as a bent coat hanger and it'll work exactly the same way. And so it was very easy for the people on the compound to massively update these weapons and quickly. So bent coat hangers can kill people in a lot of different ways. <laughs> this is true. Very, very, there's just no wire hangers ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, they're the real dead. enemy. And they'll fuck yes. up your clothes. <laughs> no wires. Um, so many bullets in this shirt. Anyway, um, <laughs> I did, I did want to thank William for making guns nerdy now because that was the most, <laughs> I don't want to say boring, but just factual statement. So now that's going to play that's going to play in my head every time I watch like the matrix now where he's like <laughs> dodging bullets. And I'm like, well, that's just a mechanism that happens after a pin is pulled and a fucking hammer hits a thing. Dumb idiot. <laughs> that has nothing to do with computers. Yeah. William actually sent me pictures of all of these parts and pictures of the modified version, including the coat hanger version. Mm -hmm. So it was actually pretty like interesting to see how they all kind of fit together um but yeah very interesting i'm not gonna say who or why but i will say that uh there's it's very easy it's very common it's a lot more common than i think some people think they are i i was alarmed to find out it was that easy um but at the time the laws governing machine guns were so recent and the compound was so far out that local authorities at first were in no rush to enforce those laws, so the conversion went largely unchecked. It wasn't until they had dipped their toe into more illegal arms dealing that it became a bit of a problem. Now, I actually have a list of their entire, basically, arsenal that was seized during the siege, and I was going to read the whole list off so people can get a true understanding of how many guns and explosives they had. Because one of the most common things people kind of, a common misconception about Waco is like, oh, they didn't have that many guns. Uh, the reason I'm not going to read that list is because it would take a full 10 minutes of me just reading the list. And I know because I timed it. Um, it has hundreds hundreds and hundreds of items on that list and not just guns but guns 
silencers, hand grenades, like you name it. It was an arsenal. There were so many guns you could literally fill a baseball uh, stadium with them. Um, which is actually the normal amount of guns that Dodger Stadium has. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's um, called the Dodgers. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> uh, but it's... It was an alarming list. And one of the arguments is, well, that's their inventory. And I'm like, how much inventory? Because it is like, uh, so I'm estimating close to 500, just like reading this list down, over 500 guns. And, And that's not including their personal guns. Yeah. Yeah. Paige, uh, I can tell that you grew up, you know, seedy girl, haven't ever needed to do anything. But let me ask you this question. Your friends come over and you got to film a badass montage of you putting all this cool stuff. How where are you going to get your guns from? Huh? I need 500 guns for options to have great different shots of me putting on my cool tactical gear. I feel like the Branch Davidians were just a video game character that keeps trying to pick things up but doesn't want to put anything down. (laughs) And I only know this from watching my husband play video games because I'm bad at video games. But every once in a while, he'll be playing like Skyrim or God of War or something, and he can only carry so many potions. And I'm just like, well, how many potions do you have? And he's like, 62. And I'm like, you couldn't even... A real person couldn't carry 62 damn potions. This is ridiculous. Again, you haven't been to Dodger Stadium (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's true. My dad put away 60 potions in one day <laughs> at Dodger Stadium. Anyway. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, Beers are hella expensive there. By this logic, is Harry Potter just always fucked up? Or Snape oh, yeah. specifically? It's very <laughs> fucked up. It's a very fucked up story. That's why they call it Polyjuice, because it gets people loose. <laughs> <laughs> that's what nobody knows is that Hogwarts actually had close to 500 guns. <laughs> that whole time <laughs> it's really fucked up that's man all that arms dealing yeah oh my god oh my lord 500 guns how many people are at the compound roughly at this point um i would say max a couple hundred okay and that's maximum that includes people who don't leave their live there full time okay so n- including people with, with that estimate not including personal guns because again this doesn't include people's just normal guns that are their own guns that's about five guns a person at minimum including children exactly by the way. like like we're talking you know one to two hundred people somewhere between 20 and 40 of those are children so five guns per child as well so it's an obscene amount of guns even for inventory it's a wild amount of guns having been a child very recently sorry andrea i uh (laughs) i i'm i'm just hoping that they never gave the children guns because (laughs) you should never give kids guns yeah, they, they did give kids guns. There was video of them showing the kids how to practice with guns. Oh, it's Texas. Dude. It's always such a I know, but it's always such a like, just wait. There, there'll be time. You don't got to teach kids now how to use guns. But it's the apocalypse. They've got to use the guns. <sighs> well, mostly we just got to teach them how to put on their tactical gear real cool. Yeah, there are multiple stories 
fairly recently, a couple years ago, of people giving their children guns. And one of my favorites slash not favorites is the woman who gave her two-year-old son a loaded gun to play with in the back of a pickup truck, and he he shot shot her. her. Yes, I remember that. Oh, my God. I also just noticed that Armando put his name for this Zoom call as R.I.P. Toilet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's her. Because as we talked about last week, uh, studying the Branch Davidians does give you diarrhea. (laughs) As I've learned. Um, Now, their gun business was about to hit a snag because a UPS driver informed the local authorities that they were delivering a box to the Branch Davidian compound and hand grenades fell out. Uh, They were dummy hand grenades, but the reason they fell out is because they were ordering hand grenade parts and assembling them into live hand grenades, which is a pretty big no-no. Gross. Yeah, not great. And that informant went to the ATF. Now, in 1992, as we know, the ATF had been called to justify their budget for the following year. Ruby Ridge hadn't happened at this point, but the investigation was ongoing. And with that investigation hemorrhaging money, dragging on for years, and generally making them look bad, there was doubt as to the validity of the ATF's fears of widespread white supremacist militias. Essentially, they had been watching the Weavers for almost two years at this point, and it seemed like they were all bark and no bite. And there were doubts that groups were truly stockpiling weapons in the way that the ATF believed that they were. But then the Branch Davidians fell into their lap. And at this point in 1992, Ruby Ridge and the Branch Davidians become concurrent investigations. And they start investigating the group. Now, like I said, not everyone in the group knew everything. Even now, some former members were unaware of the gun trafficking happening at all, while others totally confirmed it. But regardless, undercover agents were sent to the compound. The ATF rented a house across the street from the compound where they could listen in via the wire and reports that the undercover agent sent back. Allegedly, the congregants immediately figured out that this was an undercover agent. Um, <laughs> uh, that's according to them, and hindsight's twenty twenty. But it does seem like uh, David Koresh figured out pretty quickly. Hi, my name is Michael Agentson. Damn it! You still have your name tag on, David. Damn it! <laughs> I think at this point it's because. The group has gone through so many changes. He's sleeping with everyone's wives. What are the odds that a guy would show up to join a group where he can't have sex with anybody? Like, just a seemingly normal dude. Like, hey, just checking out your religion. They'd be like, no, you ain't. (laughs) Like, what are you talking about? We don't even want to be here, really. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, So they basically lock him in a room for a while And Koresh just preaches revelations at him for hours. Fun time. (laughs) Yeah. Some of the other survivors that were there at the time are like, yeah, I think maybe we got through to him. Like in the documentary, I was like, you didn't. It's nope. Um, Regardless, the undercover agent reports back 
and confirms that, yeah, there's a fuckload of weapons there and a search warrant is granted. He also tells the ATF that the Davidians are ready to die for their version of Armageddon and they are prepared for it and have been preparing for years and that they should move quickly to avoid another Jonestown. And the Branch Davidians, after realizing that they've been visited by an undercover agent, prepare for what David tells them will be their last summer on Earth. A summer that culminates in the widely publicized events at Ruby Ridge on August 21st, 1982. Just reinforcing what David was telling people, that the government was about to come and hunt them down. And they lived with this fear until the morning of February 28th, 1993, which is where we'll pick up next week. God. Wow. One Last yes. Summer sounds like a good 80s movie about yeah. a, a group of happy-go-lucky teens. It it Well, there is an 80s movie called One Crazy Summer. <gasps> oh, damn. Yeah, it definitely yeah. sounds like One Last Summer is like you're going to ride your convertible into outer space and live a new life on Mars or something. In a world where UPS is out to get you. <laughs> This, In a world where you have to DIY hand grenades. This summer is about to be the bomb. Oh. This movie has the longest sequence of people putting on guns. <laughs> Over 500 <laughs> guns on one man. And six on this baby. I just want <laughs> like an infant baby like strapping up and then just it just falls forward because it can't hold all the guns. That just reminds me of some of the fake trailers on Tropic Thunder. And there's one where Ben Stiller turns around and he's got two giant machine guns. Oh, yeah. And then two babies strapped to his chest, but with bullet belts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got a little bit of time. Do you guys want to hear some of that list of guns? Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Potato gun. Marshmallow gun. <laughs> As they siege, as they seize the weapons, uh, they determined that there were 46 semi-automatic firearms that had been modified to fire in full automatic row or automatic mode. Uh, 22 of them were M16s, 20 were AK-47s, uh, two Heckler and Cock. Kosh, Heckler and Cock. Heckler and cock. It sounds like, like a comedian. most hecklers. Yeah. Total yeah. It's a very weird gun where when it does when it fires, it doesn't go bang. It goes, you're bad at comedy. <laughs> they also found that two AR-15s had been modified to fire in full automatic uh, automatic mode. Uh, they also found 21 silencers, four live hand grenades, 61 M16s that hadn't been converted yet. Uh, two M16 lower receivers, 61 AK-47s, 34 AR-15s, two AR-15s lower receivers, 13 shotguns, 10 mini shotguns, flare gun launchers, uh, six assorted rifles, uh, nine M14s, 23 Beretta pistols, 13 Glocks, eight assorted revolvers, six safari arms, six assorted pistols, five Sig Sauers, five Walters, and, and a, a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> <laughs> Can you have five that we thought of this bit together at the exact same time? 
That's amazing. We just had As soon as he started listing it, I was like, oh my God, this is how I'm going to end it. And then Armando just looks at me. I'm like, does he know? And I went and I just shook my head. And he's like, yes, I know. (laughs) But yeah, so that's like, that was the list of just the completed guns. There's another list equally as long, if not longer, of gun parts that could have been used to assemble another couple hundred guns. Oh, wait, it just turns out that was David Kresh's Santa list. That's the one, (laughs) that's what he wanted for Christmas. That'd be a huge sack, which would explain all the kids. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Sorry, terrible. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um. So, yeah. So next week we get into the actual raid itself. Uh, This episode is brought to you by our wonderful, awesome Patreon donors. (laughs) Um, Our Patreon donors have all received (laughs) sawed off shotguns this month. No, they have not. Stop it. The ATF is listening. I've told you stop it. I've been trying for years to get the ATF to follow our podcast. If this is what it takes, I'm okay with that. God, at least someone would listen then. <laughs> ATF actually just stands for able to fuck. That's what it's short for. <laughs> I mean, if the ATF wants to join our Patreon, maybe let's talk. <laughs> we'll give you, we'll give you a, a government discount. Um, no, wait, not a discount for the government. We'll give you a discount to sign the whole government up, is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, if you... <laughs> If you want to learn more about our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast for just $5 a month. You get access to our bonus show, The Speculation Zone. Uh, You also get a shout out on the show. And so this week, our episode is brought to you in part by Hunter Cagle. Hunter! Hunter, I love Hunter. Hunter says... Wait a minute. Is Hunter, that his actual name? Hunter says, my last name is a vagina exercise, and you are three comedians. Thanks for the podcast. <laughs> he He's in the Facebook group. He posts very funny memes a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just imagining Elmer Fudd. <laughs> Shh. Be very, very quiet. I'm hunting labias. <laughs> It doesn't help that right now the sun has gone down while we're recording, so I just see yeah, the, I'm in complete the darkness. ghostly outline of your face. <laughs> Sometimes Paige gets close to the screen, and then we just see part of her nose. <laughs> ah! Oh, God! <laughs> I looked up and wasn't ready. <laughs> That's what she said, because she didn't do enough kegels. <laughs> I sneezed and now I have to change. Hunter Kegel does sound like the newest form of hunter gatherer like they do. <laughs> yeah, just every time you pick a berry, you also have to do a squat Kegel. Yeah, well, that's where you store the berries. You keep it tight. Oh, Armando! <laughs> so it's like a coin purse for berry. That's not what that's for. That's. I'm just going to call it my berry bag from now on. <laughs> I was I was thinking more like that game that hunt a killer game Ooh. where you like find clues to how to kegel <laughs> where they're like okay uh, open your mailbox go twelve paces to the left now hold your breath and count one two three and release your pelvic floor <sighs> catch the berries. <laughs> Well, my uh, my berry pouch is nice and tight. Thanks for that, Hunter Cagle. This one goes out to you, true champion. And your choice berry bag. 
if you want this to happen to you patreon.com slash cult podcast is the place to go get them girl yeah um next i'm gonna say if you want to send me a flyer for the lord's house the club i invented at the beginning of the episode where women get in free ladies pray free night <laughs> this sunday at the the, the, the lord's house praying oh. is always free <laughs> If you wanna, if you wanna tell me which DJs would be spinning at the Lord's house, or if you wanna make a show flyer for me, uh, you can send it to me on Instagram or Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. M A N D O Does Stuff. This weekend we have Gregory and Chant in the Hizzle. That's the first dubstep I just realized. <laughs> With a special guest by the mother of God herself, Jave Tequila. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we got a g -g 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 gun show in the back. <laughs> it's just Jesus holding out his arms because he loves you this much. <laughs> Oh, my God. Please send me any of these things. I love it so much. Get shredded for the Lord. <laughs> Heaven's newest club is <laughs> on the backside of a cloud next to Peter's Gates. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, send us things that would be in that club. Please. Oh, my God. Yes. I want that so bad. Oh, Jesus. Hey, guys. If you want to send me... um. Your favorite how to dismantle a gun manual. Okay, maybe not. Maybe I don't need that. Armando's giving me a look of fear, and I want him to feel safe in our home. Um, I just don't want you to send it to my or our Instagram or Twitter. If you want to send it, send it to one of the white people on the show. Don't send it to a place where I have access to it. Hey, guys, if you want to send me, uh, no, I still want that. Yeah, if you want to send me AR-15 <laughs> how to disarm manuals, uh, please send them to me on all the things at Sundress Comic or check out my art, which is mostly cute baby deer and dogs at this point at Andrea Gazetta. I love you so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll paint a baby holding a machine gun just for you. Oh, wait, I already did that once. Never mind. What? Maybe I'll post that. It's a baby with a grenade belt. It's fun. Oh, fun times. my Lord. Um, If you want to tell me your favorite stuffings for a hand grenade, be they pepperoni, ham and cheddar, broccoli cheese. <laughs> a ham grenade just sounds like a calzone. I mean... <laughs> How about you send me pictures of hand grenade shaped breads, but they have to be filled with something. Ooh. Whatever you choose to fill them with. Just not gunpowder. Don't put gunpowder in the oven. I think that's probably a bad idea. This is going to be the thing that replaces pizza pockets. It's a flavor explosion in your mouth. It's a cheesy blaster. <laughs> First you take a hot dog, put it with some jack cheese, roll it in a pizza. You got cheesy blasters. Um... Yes, you can send that to my Instagram at Rampage Wesley or Twitter at Page Wesley. And if you like our show, you can follow us on Instagram at Colt Podcast. Or on Twitter at Colt Podcast Show. You can also send us an email to Colt Podcast Show at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us 
frozen ham grenades for us to reheat and eat their delicious molten cheese insides, <laughs> you could send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237. Like, like the, the Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. And I think for this one, I'm going to say, don't drink anything an older man hands you. Especially if it comes in a grenade. Even if it's Jave tequila shots. Jave right? <laughs> tequila. Um, and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Bye.